If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Love energy is a kind of a field. And I think a lot of times this sort of connectivity occurs between mothers and their children and, you know, situations where there is a very deep love. So I, so I, so I, I like this idea of a morphic field. And, you know, the guy who, the, the British neurologist who discovered brain waves during World War, right after World War One, you know, his son was in battle in France and his, he was very close with his sister and his sister woke up one night and she had a dream that this fellow's son had been killed. And she told her father, it turned out to be true. And then he spent the rest of his life thinking, you know, there's something about this that is not just, it's not, it didn't just happen. You know, there's something going on. There's some level of connection of energy that's going on there. And um, so he's the guy who discovered brainwaves. And uh, I think you gotta take that into account. A lot of times these, these deep connections that we have do in fact yield amazing premonitions Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Truth Seeker Podcast. I'm your host, Truth Seeker. Today, my guest is Stephen Post. Stephen, welcome to the podcast, brother. How are you? How are you, Truth? Good to be with you. Um, great. Good to have you, man. Excited for our talk today and been watching some of your TED TED Talk stuff and, and checking out some of your other interviews. And uh, I know that it's going to be a great discussion. I'm sure it will be with you, especially. Uh, you're a well-decorated uh, individual, doctor. You have so much under your belt. You do a lot. You bring a lot to the table. And so um, you talk about a lot, too. So maybe share just a little bit of your background, what you bring to the table, who you are, what you do. We can start there. And with that being said, where we're, where you want to go with the interview, because, again, there's so much that you do bring to the table. And I'm sure that all of it fits into the grand scheme of this talk as well. Okay, well, thanks, Truth. Uh, I'm, I'm actually located in Stony Brook, which is a town on the north shore of Long Island looking out over Connecticut. It's about an hour due east of uh, Manhattan. Uh, I've been here 13 years, but I'm not really a New Yorker. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I kind of identify with the spirit of Ohio and uh, taught there at a medical school for 20 years, Case Western raised our family. We've got two kids uh, in the uh, suburb of Shaker Heights, which is a really nicely integrated place. 
and uh, Long Island here is okay. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a little remote in some certain respects because it's hard to get through Manhattan to get into New Jersey or Pennsylvania or to drive back to Ohio. But um, um, at Stony Brook University in the medical school, I direct the program in bioethics and medical humanities. Um, I also am the president of the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love, uh, which is www.unlimitedloveinstitute.org. And we study uh, spirituality and a higher form of love, uh, not the love of designer genes or even the love of chocolate, but something that's much more profound and even mystical than that. And we've been at it for now, believe it or not, 21 years. And uh, there was a wonderful philanthropist named Sir John Templeton who uh, had sold his Templeton uh, mutual funds and, and he got in touch with me and he said, why don't we start something to study the highest human asset, which is love. But then he said, but not just human love, the love that made humans. Mm. <laughs> okay. In other words, the love underlying the universe. He was really quite remarkable and very into uh, quantum physics and thought that we really didn't know much at all about ultimate reality, but uh, uh, he certainly he certainly felt that there was an underlying energy of, of pure love that explains the universe and everything in it. Um, um, would that would that uh, be what you know many from a religious tradition, not um, just you know for them would call the you know the love of God. God's love or God is love as the scriptures say something like that. Yeah. 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 The Christian tradition, that would be good, but you could, you could refer to this as the Supreme being in the Hindu tradition that exists before. Brahman. Absolutely. Brahman would be just fine. Um, and, and there are lots of other uh, ultimate reality is a, is a popular expression in Buddhism. Um, but it's all the same. And it refers to this, uh, original mind and original heart, which is manifest in the energy of uh, pure unlimited love. And that actually is prior to matter, uh, you know, mind before matter, um, not matter before mind. And that energy is the ultimate reality of our universe. And it dwells within us as well in the form of a certain sort of spark of eternity. So good. Um, before we go a little bit further, because we want to, you know, definitely break break that open and stuff. And um, but what is bioethics? What what does that mean? Okay, well, so the institute is my night job. <laughs> bioethics is my day job. In other words, uh, in medical centers, there are so many questions that come up about how people should be treated. Uh, sometimes they're over treated. Sometimes they're under treated. Um, all the kinds of dilemmas that come up literally every day, uh, you know, who should address these choices? How should they be addressed? Um, where does ethics fit in? Where does law fit in? Uh, these are very complicated matters. And every major hospital has an ethics committee and they have ethics consultants who are available round the clock for calls from physicians and even patients themselves directly uh, when there are uh, disagreements, misunderstandings that could benefit from an impartial hearing. And so we'll, we'll 
we'll go visit and do a lot of a lot of things for people. Uh, but also we have a an educational role with the medical students. Um, uh, uh, not only bioethics, quote unquote. You know, what do you do with a twenty-two-year-old, uh, twenty-two-month-old uh, premature baby who's probably not going to make it? Uh, do you try or not? Those are dilemmas. Do you use a feeding tube on a 90-year-old guy who's got terminal dementia. You know, I would probably not want that, but that's the sort of bioethical mm-hmm. debate. Uh, and uh, uh, But there's also medical humanities. We do a lot of work with uh, music and literature, short stories, poems written by people who are ill. And as they try to explain what their experience of an illness is like and we do a lot of training and communication, things like empathy and compassionate care and attentive listening and, and try to allow you know, students to go through a kind of process of identity formation so they come out not just being technically proficient, but also um, being uh, virtuous, humble, honorable, kind, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was going to ask you, and it, it sounds like it, that, that, that work in bioethics translates over into the uh, universal love work this is does your training yes. in that translate over yeah there's a there's yeah absolutely so uh you know you you want to have a couple of things going in your life and uh the institute is great you know we're we're we're, we're always doing things uh that are very creative uh with researchers around the world but um uh the, the actual practice of uh, raising compassionate physicians is a very down-to-earth and very important uh, operational approach to uh, increasing love in the world. So my center is called the Center for Medical Humanities, Compassionate Care, and Bioethics. And they actually tolerate me really well here. You know, it's just a big old state university, but uh, it's not in any way religious, but people tend to be pretty spiritual. Uh, they have all kinds of practices. They do a lot of mindfulness meditation and, you know, all kinds of stuff. It's really quite, quite interesting. It's almost a new agey type place. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, when you, I guess when you're focusing on love and you look at these practices and, um, you know, my, you know, my study of the Bible, it looks new agey, right? There's this engaging with a mystical love if whether that's through analogies and through metaphors and through mindfulness and through i mean i've I've watched some of your your lectures about giving it is better to give than to receive and if you give it's going to be by default given back to you there's all of these different mindfulness practices you know that that tend to be lovey-dovey hippie like you know new agey that are that are ancient and and the reason I, i love these conversations is because you know, I feel like there's this place where religion and science meet and they're starting to uh, complement one another versus yes. fighting and disproving and get rid right. of your myth and analogy and stuff like that. But you see where the two kind of kind of complement one another, right? Yeah, very much so. And, and uh, um, that's an area of tremendous importance. Uh, it's internationally uh, powerful and growing all the time. So uh, it's no longer um, a matter of uh, belief versus unbelief, but really it's 
understanding that some of these great truths have a lot of scientific backing. And by the way, you know, I also think, you know, just listening to what you said, which was so thoughtful, true, thanks. Um, <clears throat> you know, the ways in which we should be able to connect a lot of the mindfulness techniques and the meditation and, and some of these uh, Eastern mystical uh, ways of viewing things, how we should be able to com or absolutely connect that with, with Jesus. <clears throat> and uh, I've, I've always wondered my own self, as of others, you know, um, what happened to Jesus between the ages of 12 and 29? Because, <laughs> you know, in the Bible, uh, there's nothing on that, you know, yeah. uh, it just says, you know, he, he grew and you can, you might assume that he, he was a heck of a good carpenter and I love carpentry nothing against that. But, um, uh, you know, there are, there are places in India that, uh, uh, actually have shrines to Jesus. He's called Lord Issa. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, um, people who think that he, they actually called Jesus, in some areas of India, including Chennai in the south part, uh, the uh, the traveling uh, Messiah, hmm. you know, and and uh, even even in in the Bible, you know, he he goes with uh, uh, his dad Joseph is a dreamer, has a lot of mystical dreams like Joseph in the Old Testament, you know, and and he says, hey, we've got it, we've got to get out of here, we're in trouble, Herod's coming after us, so they go to Egypt. That's a pretty long trek, and uh, and there were trade routes to uh, to India, and there are those who have argued with some uh, degree of plausibility, but it's not ironclad, it's not tight, you know, that um, Jesus may have actually gone to India, hmm. uh, but if so, it's it's kind of interesting because it opens up a a dialogue that we we could really have. Yeah. Um, and, and it does. And, and I'm, I'm with you. Like I, I get that question a lot. You know, where was Jesus between these ages? Did he go to India? And obviously, I don't know. Right. I do know when he was a child from from zero to what, 12, 13, you know, before his bar mitzvah, before they come back to, to Passover, yeah. that he escapes to Egypt. And so yeah. Egypt has the traditions of the mystery schools and all of that. So I kind of go that route. But the India route is is huge as well. There's a huge connection with the Bible and and, yes. and those those texts as well. So we can get into all of that. I think that this would be a good segue to your book and talking about synchronicity, because yes. you at 15 had a dream that you followed it was supernatural metaphysical kind of dream that that you you grew into you saw a vision of what was to come for your life and and uh, and you know what what you would become linking that back to joseph who had a dream about the messiah and about his child and even what to name the child and all of this kind of stuff right so god or the divine spark of love that speaks through everything including dreams. Do you want to, do you want to set that story up for your, your dream encounter to be doing what you're doing now? Yeah. And Joseph and his brothers too, right? I mean, he was, he was interpreting <laughs> all these dreams, you know, yeah. so the yeah. Joseph's are pretty dreamy people. For sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I was a kid. I, I grew up um, actually in New York and I went to a high school up in Concord, New Hampshire. Uh, and uh, I was only 12 years old. 
uh, and um, I was a little bit different than some of the other kids up there. Um, it was a pretty intense place academically. Uh, they played a lot of ice hockey. I wasn't a hockey player, but I read a lot of uh, philosophy and a lot, a, a lot of uh, sacred scriptures from the world's religions, even as a pretty young kid. And um, we all took a sacred studies course and world, it was great, it was a great place. Um, I, I uh, when I was um, 15, I had an interesting dream. I was not a big dreamer. I didn't have too many dreams. I mean, every once in a while, I still will have a dream, but I don't know if it amounts to anything. <laughs> uh, but when I was 15, I was, we had to go to chapel every morning. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Uh, and uh, one morning I wasn't quite asleep and I wasn't quite awake. And I had this kind of dreamy vision type experience of a road that was leading to the West um, it was covered with this really, really thick mist. So I couldn't see very far in front of me. And as I was walking down the road uh, to the left, uh, I just made out vaguely the image of a young man with uh, long, dirty, blonde hair. And he was just leaning out as if to jump. And then um, into the dream, uh, came the face of a, what looked to me like something of an angel though, without wings, but it, with great warmth and, and love, she said, if you save him, you too shall live. And then all of the mist disappeared and blue broke into the dream and that was it. I didn't know what that was, but I went to chapel that morning and I sat on my wooden pew and I thought about it for a while and I probably would have dropped it entirely, but it, the same dream recurred six times over the course of a year. And I thought that was really weird. And I told my friends about it and uh, we talked about it in class. And my, my sacred studies teacher was an Episcopal priest uh, named Rod Wells. He even drove me down to Yale Divinity School in New Haven to talk about it in a class on adolescent spirituality um, with a guy who was really a kind of a Jungian theologian. And, um, you know, they asked me about, you know, they, they said, were you feeling well? I said, yeah, I mean, I hadn't had any dyspeptic hot dogs. I hadn't been working off a lot of demerits in the hot sun, raking leaves. You know, I was in pretty good shape. Um, but um, this dream was very powerful. And they said, well, did you do anything as a result of it? I said, yeah, I actually, um, although none of the kids from my, my school usually went west for college, 
I said, I applied to Reed College in Portland, Oregon, because it was kind of a, a little bit of a far out place. And, and, um, um, and, and they were surprised by that. Uh, and they said, does anybody else up there uh, think about what you, what, you, what you experience? And I said, well, you know, they all read Emerson's idea of the oversoul, and it's a beautiful piece of literature, but I actually believe it. I believe in this one mind, this original mind, I call it original mind, that um, is really the, uh, the essence of the universe, and we actually are connected with it, each of us. We have the gift of that mind. I, I don't think it's, you know, that mind is, is just derived from matter. I think that maybe the opposite is true. Uh, I think that maybe maybe matter is derived from some sort of ultimate mind. And so we all have some connection with that. It's all part of us. And so therefore we can have premonitions. We can have these um, feelings of deja vu. We can have all kinds of experiences of intense creativity. Uh, I mean, Ramanujan in India, the guy whose notebooks are in the middle of the major library at Cambridge University, uh, you know, he was just a young kid. He'd be praying at the foot of his goddess uh, in Chennai, and and he, with his finger, um, write these formulas that he received in the dirt. Then he come back a little later. He put them in a notebook, and uh, that notebook, which is in Trinity College at Cambridge University, in the middle of the in the middle of the library, is the basis of most of um, uh, quantum physics. So, and, and they did, they actually brought him to Cambridge uh, when he was, you know, 20 or 21 years old, because no one could believe the stuff he was, he actually wrote a couple of articles about just really his, his dreamy revelations. Um, and they asked him to prove things. He didn't think he had to prove anything because, you know, they were gifts. Yeah. But anyway, he was brilliant. He died pretty young. He died when he was about 30-ish or so. But people have these amazing uh creative moments. And that includes people like Einstein, who would go into these sorts of deep mystical thought states, he called them gedanka, you know, and uh, he would see things and intuit things. He was not so much rational as he was intuitive. And so, you know, that suggests that maybe really exceptional creativity isn't just our own uh, action and mm -hmm. our own brilliance, quote unquote, yeah. But rather, it's something that we kind of pick up uh, from the world around us. And so my dream, I didn't know what the hell it was. And I, I wasn't a big believer in it. But that two summers later, I was home and I, I was going to go to Swarthmore College. And, my, um, uh, and my, I'd gotten a job in the Bronx, uh, you know, in a, admittedly a little bit of a tough neighborhood. And I was going to do some tutoring because I like to do that with kids. My mom and dad, they completely rejected this idea. They said, you're going to get killed. Yeah, okay. So I, we fought about that for a couple of days. And, and finally, my mother said, if you insist on this, we're not going to help you with your tuition. And I said, oh, oh. so um, what, do you, what am I going to do this summer? If I, you know, what am I going to do for a job? And my dad um, said, I got a job for you. You can work for Bill DeBono in his lampshade factory in Patchogue, which is this pretty miserable town on the South Shore of Long Island. Uh, so lo and behold, you know, I took dad's very secondhand gray Mercedes 190 um, and I drove it to Patchogue, he had another car. Um, I drove it to Patchogue and I worked in a lampshade factory for those 
two weeks cutting cardboard between two really large, wonderful Italian women. I had no problem with that. But it just wasn't my thing because I was also reading Siddhartha. You know, I was reading about the Buddha all the time. This was like not my destiny. So, so I drove out one Friday night after a couple of weeks to West Hampton Beach, which is kind of a hangout for young people. And I, I had some friends out there from school. And, um, and about 11 at night, I decided, you know, a lot of, lot, of, lot of arguing in my family right now. I'm not really happy about this job thing. I'm going to follow my dream. I'm just going to drive to the West. So this is kind of shocking and maybe a bit of a confession, but um, I, um, I just took that Mercedes and I had maybe 50 bucks in my pocket. I had my classical guitar. Um, I had a few items of clothing um, and I had a few books like the perennial philosophy and Siddhartha, you know, and uh, I just drove West. So I drove all the way into New York. Like all the songs tell you to do. <laughs> like they all do. And I drove across the George Washington Bridge. And, the, and there, was, there was a sign. There were two signs. One said 95 South. But that wasn't in the dream. There was another sign that said 90 West. 90 is like Route 10, in, you know, down where you are. Mm -hmm. It goes all the way across the country, you know. It's one of the four cross-country highways. So I said 90, uh, Route 80 West. So I got on that road and I just drove west and about five in the morning, I was returning to a normally rational state. And I determined that, you know, I should really do a <laughs> turnaround on the midway and go home, return dad's car, and my reputation will be untarnished. However, and this to me was the work of this infinite mind, call it Alchemy 101. I did ultimately take a course called Alchemy 101 with Steve Jobs at Reed College. But that's nice. for another discussion. So, so I, so I, I uh, just as I was about to turn around, um, the, ge the generator broke down and, and cars back in those days had generators. And if the generator broke, you, you, you know, all the lights were gone, the engine was completely gone. And I just managed to get over on the right shoulder. So there were a lot of trucks early in the morning and it's kind of dark it's dangerous so i got over on the right shoulder and i looked all around this is actually the lewisburg exit there, was, there were no car no no telephone booths no lights nothing just fields and um so i did the only thing i could think to do at the time i i i, I thought well you know i this must be this ultimate reality wanting me to go west because I was going to turn around and go east <laughs> but I went west because the the car broke at just the right time to make that happen so I wrote a note to the which is lives in the in my family's memory to this day I took a piece of paper out of the glove compartment and with pencil I wrote to the Pennsylvania State Police please return this car to Henry A.V. Post, 44 Davidson Lane East, West Islip, New York, 516-669-5655, from his son, Stephen, who's no longer working in the lampshade factory. <laughs> that was bad. <clears throat> but I put my thumb out, had my little bunch of gear, and I got a car, I got a ride in a big white truck that felt very much like from on high. And I, anyway, I won't go into it, but eventually I wound up at the West Coast. And here's where the dream comes back because my cousin George was a 
graduate of North Carolina Chapel Hill in Chinese studies. He'd done two tours of duty in Vietnam. The second one was actually in Laos and he did some pretty bad stuff up there. He was a good guy and he was older than me. Um, so he had an apartment in the Mission District in San Francisco, uh, which now is very gentrified, but then it was a pretty, pretty dangerous place. And um, so uh, I, I, I spent the summer with George. I slept on his floor. I played my classical guitar, Torega, Taroba, you know, all that stuff uh, in Hispanic restaurants made pretty good money. But I also joined a temple, a Buddhist temple, the Nichiren Shosho uh, Temple, uh, the, you know, Namio Horenge Kyo, Namio Horenge Kyo. And I enjoyed that. It was kind of like uh, getting lost, getting beyond space and time. It was total flow. And um, uh, as it happened that summer, I probably would never have gone to college. I decided I didn't need it. But <laughs> that's what Jobs decided when he went off to India to that uh, uh, ashram. But uh, I decided that um, I did need it because I got a really bad draft number. They were doing this thing with your birthdays and I was headed for Vietnam and mm. I wasn't gonna do that. So, um, so I called Reed College because I already turned them down. And I said, do you have a space for me? And they said, yeah, we'll do that. They, they didn't necessarily want me to go over there either. Um, and so one morning in early September, I was at the corner of Mission and Chenery Street and there was a, a Nichiren Shosho Buddhist uh, temple right there where I'd been frequenting. And uh, Cousin George, this old Japanese-American guy named Gus, and some other people were there. And they knew I was leaving for Oregon. Uh, I had my stuff. Uh, they gave me something that is called a go-home zone. <laughs> you can kind of Google it, go-home zone. <clears throat> and it's, it's, it's a Japanese scroll it's got a lot of symbols, like one symbol is universal mind. Um, there's a symbol for kindness, which is basically a heart and uh, lots of other kind of really beautiful things. And, and so they gave this to me and I thanked them. They explained some of the symbols to me. I put it in my backpack and I took the Market Street bus up to Golden Gate Park. And, uh, you know, it's early in the morning. It's like 7.30 in the morning or so. And I walked across the park and I walked up the rocky entrance way to the, um, to the bridge on the left side. And <clears throat> I couldn't see more than about two feet in front of me because it was so foggy. And I got about halfway up the, I got about halfway up the bridge uh, to the middle of the arc. And I, I heard a little scratchy sound and I looked to my left and I squinted and I kind of made out some guy who looked a little bit like the, the, the fellow in my dream who was just leaning out about to jump. And I looked at him and I said, I truly hope you don't plan to jump. And then he was shocked because he didn't expect anybody to invade his privacy. So he screamed crazy at me, you know, like from Macbeth, life is empty, nothing is. He was actually a pretty intelligent, thoughtful guy. But he was maybe he was really drugged up. I don't know what was going on. Uh, so I, I told him, look, don't jump because I have a feeling that I came all the way across the country just to be here to meet you. <laughs> and then he really started cussing, you know, because he th thought I was crazy. I said, well, you're out there on the ledge. I'm, I'm at least on the walkway, you know. <clears throat> and, 
And so I explained to him in, in about a half an hour, the whole story of the dream of everything that had happened of dad's car on route 80 of cousin George of all, all that had happened. And, um, and he actually quieted down and he took an interest in what I was saying. And I said, look, I got a little bit of a deal for you. I'm going to give you something that's going to change your luck. Cause you know, Buddhists, they have a lot of good luck charms and things, you know, that you can pick up. <clears throat> so I, I said, I've got a Gohon zone. I hardly knew what a Gohon zone was. I've got a Gohon zone. And if you step over the fencing from the outside um, and step onto the walkway, I'm going to give this to you. So he actually did that. He actually walked over the railing and he was standing there next to me. His name was Harry. I unscrolled the Gahon zone and I tried to explain it as best I could. But mainly I said, I'm going to give this to you and it's going to really turn your life around. And so for some reason or, or another, he actually kind of believed me. <laughs> and, and I mean, I guess I didn't know if I believed it or not, but, but he walked south on the bridge toward the park and I walked north. You know, we're both going, we're right at the center of the bridge. So we're both going down and I waved goodbye and he waved goodbye. And I gave him a note that, that was to cousin George and gave George's address, 6 Chenery Street. Um, George, this is Harry. Please let him sleep where I was sleeping on your floor and take him to the temple and let him meet Gus and see if you can help him get together. And uh, that's a long story there. It happened, actually, Harry turned out okay. So um, uh, I went up to uh, Oregon. I got a Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, a ride in a truck right at the base of the bridge, a small truck, just like a Ford Ranger or something like that, got all the way up to uh, Oregon. And as I was walking down that bridge in that beautiful, sunny, it was like a radiant blue sky. I mean, all the mist disappeared, it just evaporated in the heat. And it was like the light was so intense. And I felt, you know, this is so much what I experienced in the dream. I was, but I wasn't 100% sure, but I just felt that somehow maybe, maybe even though I had that dream two years earlier, right? So time, two years earlier, and 3,000 miles away, so, you know, San Francisco to Concord, New Hampshire is a long haul. So I said, somehow, you know, I had that dream and, and it came true. How could that possibly happen? So I started really thinking, that's why I was taking courses like, you know, um, uh, Alchemy 101, <laughs> you know, and, but then the, but I didn't know what the second half of the statement meant from that voice. 
mm-hmm. which was, if you save him, you too shall live. And then I'll, I'll wind this up here. That's, you know, this is sort of the, 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 the uh, journey uh, story, although my whole life's been a journey. Um, so it was like late January. And in Portland, Oregon, it does not snow much. I mean, this can be a little bit, but it does rain a heck of a lot. It rains almost all the time. And on any cold evening, it can get very slushy. So I'm sitting in the coffee shop uh, and uh, the student coffee shop with a bunch of people. And uh, a guy comes bursting through the door. It's about nine o'clock at night. He says, my name's Andrew and I've got a brand new Harley Davidson uh, shovel hauser bike, which was like the fastest bike of its time. And who wants to go for a ride? And like crazy kid, I said, I'll go for a ride. So I went, I followed him out into the, into the little parking lot and I got on this motorcycle. He had a, he was pretty wired. He looked like he was maybe lit up. I don't know. And I shouldn't have done that. But anyway, I got on this bike and um, uh, there was slush on the ground and he took off and he was, he hit about 80 miles an hour with, within a minute. And he went through every stop sign, every light, and eventually got out to the Pacific Coast Highway. Um, and he was going south on the highway, he hit 180 miles an hour, and he was slip sliding away. I mean, it was really dangerous. And I thought my time was up. I really thought this was it. I was crying. I was grabbing hold of this guy. He had a black leather jacket on. I said, look, you got to let me off this. I think I can't, I can't take it. But he was just laughing, laughing. <laughs> with the rain beating into his face, you know? And then believe it or not, after about an hour, he did this U-turn over the midway, which was like, kind of like evil Knievel, you know, that sort of a thing. And, 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 and just sliding all around, um, we started going north again toward Portland. And he actually dropped me off exactly where he picked me up. And I was like staggering. I, I couldn't even walk. And I just sort of managed to, make my way over the ravine, there was a bridge, and then the dormitories were on the other side of the bridge. So I made my way over to Ackerman Dormitory, which is where I lived. And um, um, that's actually where jobs sometimes slept on my floor. And uh, I, uh, I got in there and I never answered. There was a payphone on the wall. Now, look, back in those days, there were no cell phones, okay? Or any white devices. Steve hadn't invented them yet. <laughs> so. So I walk into the in, into the common room through the door and I hear the phone ring on the wall. And I never, never, never answered that phone. I mean, my mom and dad, they could not get a hold of me for a month of Sundays. So somehow I felt pushed. I mean, I didn't see anything pushing me by any means, but I felt an energy just compelling me to, you know, intuitively and even with a certain warmth to pick up the phone. So I went over there and I picked up the phone and I said, hello. And it was my mom. Now, you got to figure, it's now, it's about 11 at night Pacific time. So it's like two, two in the morning in New York. And uh, my mom, she says, oh, Stevie, thank God you're alive. I had this terrible dream. I was sweating. I was fearful. I woke up your dad. I thought you were dead. I thought, are you okay? And, and I said, Mom, I'm okay, but I thought I was dead too. And we had a beautiful, you know, mother-son conversation. It was really a kind of a reunion, you know. And uh, and um, from that, uh, you know, I figured that, well, again, you know, um, 
she was 3000 miles away at the time. And she had this dream and, and she knew that something was really perilous in my life. And, um, and somehow I'd gotten through it. So that's to me kind of what, what the second half of the say of the statement meant, you know, if you save him, you too shall live that somehow I lived through that. And I probably shouldn't have lived through it because it was really treacherous. Yeah. Uh, but that's sort of, so, so what I'm talking about is the way we're more connected. Synchronicity is that idea that we're much more cherished and connected, not, not necessarily at all times, but there is this way in which in, encounters are set up and our minds are mm-hmm. much more universal than we realize. And, and we can, we can have these experiences and we don't want to just write them off and dismiss them. Um, and so that's why I wrote God and love on route 80. Cause I wanted to, I wanted to express that side of my life, even though I've been working in medical schools for the last 40 years, you know? Wow. Yeah. Um, things were laid out before, you know, your, 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 your plan, your destiny was, 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 uh, written before you got here and you're just stepping into it because of your choices, right? Like you have to, you have to make those choices. And, and then the dream makes you cognitive of the choice. Like, hey, this is a choice. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to stop and help this man. You know, he yeah. could be a angel in disguise, right? Uh, yeah. Versus you not doing it. So I, I wonder, it's like, here's the weird thing. Like, I feel like, I don't know if everybody has, you know, this type of life planned out. Maybe they do. But the people who have those experiences and they don't think twice about them, like they have the dream, you know, and they 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 see they have all of this stuff going on, all of the signs and symbols, but it doesn't mean anything to them. Like it does, they couldn't sit here and and say, yeah, well, this is how it happened. Pop, 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 pop. They're just kind of like in going through the motions. It would seem like, and nothing is magical, nothing is spiritual. And but you, I mean, you're a student. You know, you were studying all of this stuff and. And, and aware of your dreams and in, you know, talking about, you know, divinity and things like that when you were just a kid, do you think that some of this stuff open, opened you up to a, a, a state of awe and wonder? But at the same time, I mean, you had kids in your same class that yeah. probably, or, or those kids that are just, yeah, it was a, you know, they don't think twice about it when they go home. They don't wrestle with God and love and angels and my plan and stuff. It's, it's this yeah. idea of wrestling and, and who would take it and who would unfold it and figure it out kind of thing, right? Yeah, and, and so uh, for me, I mean, I have to con- say that, you know, at, at first I just didn't, I, I, I wasn't a great believer in this dream at first. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things that I thought it was really uncanny and I couldn't figure out how I could have had it repeatedly that if anything ever meant anything as a dream, this had to be it because it was the exact same dream. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and yet, you know, even with my friends, I discussed it and they, you know, we said things like, well, you know, Hey, every kid seeks meaning. Everybody wants meaning in their life. So we we're really good at making it up because we're desperate <laughs> for it. You know? And so, yeah. I mean, we really talked it over and mm-hmm. uh, um some of my friends, I mean, you know, Charlie Scribner, whose dad ran Scribner's books and stuff. I mean, a lot of conversations about this that were pretty meaningful. And, and yet, you know, still, I wasn't sure about it. Um, really, 
it was that night in West Hampton Beach when I thought, hey, this is somehow a perfect setup. You know, like my mom and dad are both so pissed off at me. <laughs> and, and I'm so pissed off because I didn't want to be working at Bill De Bono's lampshade factory. Cutting cardboard. Shove it. Yeah, trust yeah. me. Yeah, I was. You, you, you. I mean, you're studying alchemy. You're in the alchemical process of like something's got to give, you know. And you're yeah. like in this place of desperation, which is where miracles happen. Yeah. So there was a push. The push was all the stuff going on at home and working in the factory. Yeah. And the pull was, hey, you know, I had this dream and I was never sure what to do with it. I'm yeah. going to follow it. That was the moment of of choice. And and then when I got, I'd never driven actually over the George Washington Bridge before. Um, so I didn't know what would be there. But when, as soon as I saw that sign, Route 80 West, I, I just knew that was where I was going. <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, the no to the police, all that stuff. Um, by the way, I mean, I, I, I eventually, I, I, I rode with a VW van full of hippies, uh, you know, part of the way out west. And we got to Lincoln, Nebraska, and one of the girls in the, in the, in the van said, you know, you should, I told them my story. They said, you should really call your mom. So they pulled over at a, at a, at a, a, a phone booth, you know, and I, I called collect. I said, you know, I, I called collect. My mom picked up the phone. That was the, that was the first time she said, Oh my God, you're alive. We can call off the Pinkertons. Do you know who the Pinkertons are? Mm -mm. They're detectives. Okay. And I said, mom, when you called the Pinkertons, why didn't you get my note? Oh, that was so bad. <laughs> you got my note, you know I'm okay. So anyway, but yeah, I mean, I felt that as I went on in the dream, and then uh, when I was on that bridge, it was really very much like what I had seen. It wasn't identical, but it was very much the same. And the guy I saw, Harry, you know, he had the sort of snarly long blonde hair. And, and you know, he just, I told him he looked an awful lot like, you know, kid I'd seen in a dream. And then when I walked down, you know, north on that bridge, suddenly all, everything opened up in this beautiful blue. And I thought, wow, you know, uh, this is this is all what was supposed to happen. I mean, I really felt that way. And that that feeling um, grew. So actually, from the time I left the Golden Gate Bridge, I never really doubted the idea of one mind. There's a great writer named Larry Dossie who wrote a book called One Mind, a book on premonition and prayers. And he wrote the foreword to God and Love on Route 80, which was so nice of him. Uh, he's a great physician too. And I, uh, uh, I just felt from that moment on that the main thing is that we're, you know, our minds are a gift. We all have this capacity to connect with the one mind, the yeah. original mind. And we can have dreams and premonitions and inspirations and that our minds are much mis more mysterious than we than we might think yeah. and 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 that's where synchronicity comes in because everything that was happening to me was so perfectly set up it was like somehow um it was more than luck it was it was it was more than just probability it was like you know somehow this was going to happen yeah um so, you know, once you've seen that and you've seen 
you know, that it it was, it was a phenomenon. It was something real kind of thing. Like now you can kind of return to that. Did you, did you continue to have dreams later on? Did you, did you engage it through meditation? Because essentially, you know, meditation, you're hacking the dream state. You're going to that place in between the dream realms and you're getting inspiration. And now you can like, um, do it with, um, intent. Like I'm going to go in and I'm going to see what is out there for or in there for me to learn and yeah. manifest it in my life or get a premonition about what my next step is. I mean, we even, you know, psychedelic journeys, near death experiences, all of these kind of bring in this kind of realm of the infinite, um, you know, in, in this expression of God, if you will. So, I mean, and you're studying religion and, and you know, hanging with hippies and stuff like that. So what, yeah. like, like, you know, where, where, where did you go next with your spiritual yeah. endeavors and, and, and trying to, you know, repeat well, this encounter or something? Well, you know, those years in Oregon were interesting ones. I, you know, I, I, I came back east and um, I wasn't having dreams, but I, I knew that I wanted to do something to help people. That was the, you know, if you save him, you too shall live. So I got a job as a dialysis technician in the Manhattan Dialysis Center. And, uh, you know, pretty soon, like after a few months, I got a reputation there, even though I, I was putting people on lines and putting heparin in their, in, their, in their rubber tubes and so forth. But I got a reputation as the guy who people could talk with, who, who would um, let them speak about their experience, about what was going on in their family and how this uh, kidney failure was interrupting their lives. And I just became kind of a counselor, kind of a pastor for them, which was, which was really meaningful to me. Um, but then, you know, so, so in my life, I mean, I, I, it's not like I have had tons and tons of these experiences, but the book is about 12 of them, you know, the two, the, 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 the one at St. Paul's, the two, the two out West. And then, um, you know, there are some others along the way. So for example, Okay, just to bring it up. Well, to I, I will say it only takes one, you know. Yeah, it only takes one. I mean, so so Mother, you know, the, the people write books about Mother Teresa of Calcutta, and some psychiatrist really dumped on her because apparently, um, you know, later in her life, she was a little bit depressed because she didn't have the same sort of vivid spiritual experiences that got her going yeah. when she was a young, a young nun, you know. And, you know, my response to that is, well, uh, isn't once enough. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I mean, how much do you want to impose on synchronicity and <laughs> one mind? You know, I mean, I mean, isn't it shouldn't one one really deep experience keep you going? And I do believe that. Mm -hmm. But I had some amazing experiences. Like so, three three weeks ago, I I, I it, it was snowing a lot. But I actually, between the the, the 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 snows, I actually I left my wife here on Long Island to you know to handle the place. My kids are growing up now, so. I drove west on Route 80 in my in my car, and I 
and I like doing that. I stop at Lewisburg. I, I, there's a there's a Best Western Inn, and I can actually look and I can see where I left the car. It's really fun. And I, a lot, all my friends in Cleveland, you know, they know this. What, what, so so what what happens when you see that spot in your you heart? Know, I, in your in love. my heart, I, yeah. I, I it, you know, it, it, it reassures me that even if like, you know, I have to work really hard. I got a very demanding job. I have, I have to do a lot of managing stuff and fundraising, all kinds of things. But what it does is it, it takes me out of this day-to-day routinized living that I have, which is meaningful, but not over the top meaningful as, as, as would be the idea of synchronicity. But it reminds me when I see that spot, there's a sacredness to that spot, you know? Uh, it's, it's, it's right at Route 215, the 215 exit. It's Williamsport, it's Lewisburg. And so my daughter actually went to Bucknell University, which is in Lewisburg. So it's the same exit. And sometimes when, when um, you know, I hear that maybe she was, um, you know, up to some shenanigans and she was at times, you know, and I had to pick her, I'd have to pick her up for, you know, Christmas holiday or Easter or something. Um, I would look over as I turned onto onto two fifteen South. Um, I would I would I would look over at that spot where I knew I left the car, and I would say, you know, I'm going to go easy on her. <laughs> you know, I'm going to so 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 you know. There's this sort of ultimate reality that is forgiving, mm-hmm. cherishing, guiding, protecting, and all those things, and so. When I'm out on that highway, I feel elevated. You know, I still I'm I, I still go to you know Episcopal masses pretty regularly, and I and I and I, and I do um, um, I do consider myself to be uh, Christian, but not in a in a very orthodox way, in a very broad way. Liberal, you know? yeah, yeah, very, which yeah. probably most people listening to this do. Yeah. Yeah, so that's so, so yeah, so so it's meaningful. I get out to Cleveland, which is you know I love Cleveland, and and gave a talk in my old church, St. Paul's Church in Cleveland Heights, about God and love on Route 80, and the whole church was packed. I mean, there were like you know a hundred people there in their masks, and there were two or three hundred out on Zoom, and and it was interesting because they weren't freaked out. I mean, they all know me, you know. I mean, we raised our kids in that church, but this is a part of me that I didn't necessarily put in people's faces, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get along and make a good living and not seem too weird. So, mm-hmm. but they loved it, you know, and, and, um, um, and in the book, you know, I, I, I'm referred to as the boy, you know, I, I, I couldn't write about I or me, I had the boy and, and, and uh, so, so uh, the organist there, Carol Palkert, he walked up to me, he said, you know, I, I love Route 80. I'm all with the boy, you know. So, mm, so, good. so there, there's well, a there's there's a beauty to it. Yeah, I mean, your your story is so similar with mine. I'm asking you questions and I'm just hearing things. Mm. It's about, you know, you mentioned alchemy, that the alchemist of you know by, you know, Paulo Coelho. It's like yes. recapturing the dream, like yes. don't give up, recapture that vision, don't don't leave this place until it comes into fruition, whatever you got to do to recapture it, to bring it into the the moment. And um, I think that's, you know, I don't know about all of us, but many of us have that dream. And then, you know, the process you go through of like giving up on it and you were there, you were at the 
at the uh, the factory and like, oh man, this is, I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. It's like hell almost. Like, no way. I can't be pushing buttons and, and I'm building somebody else's dream when I have a dream yeah. that I haven't given up on. So the process of recapturing that, you know, is, is, uh, is the journey, you know? It's the journey. And so, you know, eventually like I quit, uh, I had a, I had a, I was a researcher at Cornell Med in pediatrics for and endocrinology for about a year. I'm not an MD, but I, I'm a good scientist. And I and, and and then I went to Penn and I studied immunology for a year or two. And then I and I had a full scholarship, an NIH scholarship. You know, it was a free ride. But I quit, and I went to the University of Chicago Divinity School. You know why? Because that's where like Mersha Eliade, who wrote Shamanism, was teaching. That's where Joseph Campbell taught half the year. And I wanted to study world religions and get back in touch with my with, with that part of my dream. And and so I've still I've worked in medical schools for the last 40 years, Chicago, Michigan, and or uh, Cleveland, Stony Brook. But um, if you ask me where I'm from, I'd tell you Route 80. You know? And that and and I and I come in here every day. I I, I get up early in the morning about five and I I do meditate and I, I visualize a lot of the people I'm going to see over the course of the day. And I mm. ask myself, what do they need? Because some people, they need just, you know, a quiet listening ear. Some people need a little um, loyalty, a little expression of creative gusto. You know, you got to kind of think through. Uh, some people need some compassion because, you know, some bad things have happened. So I think forward over the course of the day. And I try to envision these encounters, and uh, uh, and I take uh, every wherever I've been, I you know even though I'm not an ordained minister, the medical students, but the faculty. I mean, they show up at the door, you know, when they have things that are they're struggling with, and they, and I'm the same kid who used to be in that dialysis center in Manhattan. You know, somehow mm -hmm. I take on that role, and I I pray for everybody all the time. Um, and, uh, and I try to stay on the dream, but that's why, you know, like when I got back, so it's only like now it's a couple of weeks since I got back from Cleveland and I'll tell you, getting off route 80 actually drove all the way. It's about an eight hour drive to the Manhattan, to Manhattan. And then another couple of hours on long Island, I just drove straight. I felt fully energized and, um, just being out on route 80, it, just recentered me on the meaning of life. <laughs> I know that's a really weird thing for your listeners to hear, but it was, it's so, it, it's so captures my life. And so that's why you have a book with the peculiar title, God and love on route 80, the hidden mystery of human connectedness. So good. Um, I know that that just this instant gratitude, you probably every time you think about it, every time you look at the book, every time you, remind yourself route 80 route 80 i'm from route 80 you know yeah. it's like this immense gratitude to be alive yeah. you know near-death experiences are it's like it's so in a weird way like you avoided well you was on a near-death experience for sure like you know what i'm saying you hold it on and swish yeah, it around was... on the back of some crazy drunk dude's bike you know yeah, yeah. so now it's like when you get off it's like, oh, i'm thankful oh my god you know so that place of gratitude is is where these miracles happen, where dreams are manifested, where you step yes. into, you know, your your 
you don't waste time. You don't waste a breath. You don't waste a heartbeat. You don't waste, you know, a conversation with somebody struggling that you're, you're intentional. And that's just like, man, that is the concoction for living yeah. a, you know, a mystical life or, or encountering the mystical divine love of yeah. the universe or what we call God. A couple of years ago, one of my older, older friends had uh, GI cancer and uh, he, he'd gotten it uh, diagnosed in a hospital in New York, but they weren't doing any surgery because it was forbidden. You know, they were only doing COVID stuff. Mm. And so they, they didn't take in any of these cases. And he was quite literally uh, fainting. He couldn't walk more than five feet and uh, couldn't get into a hospital. So I knew back in Ohio, uh, Mike DeWine, the governor, decided that actually there, they would treat people for these serious emergency surgeries, even though there was COVID flying around. And uh, so I got in touch with one of the heads of a department at the Cleveland Clinic. I can't talk about this. And I can't give any names, but um, <clears throat> this wonderful guy. And uh, he took my friend as his patient. So my, my friend and his wife, they had never driven, they never driven west of the George Washington Bridge. They were like total Manhattanites, you know, they just, everything is Manhattan. It's crazy, you know, I mean, they've probably never been to Birmingham or someplace, you know, which is a great city, or Stanford University mm -hmm. there in, in, in Stanford University, where I've been giving talks over the years, um, in, you know, in, in Alabama or whatever. I mean, they just, the whole world was basically Manhattan. So um, they, 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 they drove west. And when they got into the middle of Pennsylvania, there are some pretty, pretty mountainous areas, not super mountainous, but just high altitude. And when you have a bleeding out from a GI tumor and you're in high altitude, you can just faint, you can lose consciousness. So um, I was speaking with his wife on the, on the cell phone and sort of walking her through, her through this, getting her through this. And finally she got through the mountainous area and she got downhill and she was coming into Ohio. And, you know, they treated him, they did a beautiful job and he's fine. And, you know, even something like that, um, you know, um, to me, it's all linked to the dream. You know, mm -hmm. if you save him, you too shall live. I mean, if you want to flourish in life, if you want to be happy, if you want to be healthy, um, contribute and give, you know. And so that the first book I, I wrote, you know, popular book was um, Why Good Things Happen to Good People, How to Live a Healthier, Happier, Longer Life Through the Simple Act of Giving. And that did really well. Um, but I, uh, uh, so I believe in that, you know, and, and, but that itself, I didn't talk about it in the book cause it's more of a sort of a popular sciencey mm -hmm. and then sort of small story type book. But I really, I really wanted at some point <clears throat> to say where this kind of emanate, where this came from. And, uh, so route 80 is that story. What do you, what do you, so <clears throat> talking about synchronicity, like, uh, you know, what do you think happens? Like, if you want to, you know, describe it spiritually, if you, because I believe we can, the beauty is we can describe it on all of these, these levels. We can describe it as something that happens astrologically above us, something that happens within the mind when we position ourselves or our heart space goes out. You know, I like to look at it, creative, spiritual stuff, like angels go out and start moving stuff, you know, to kind of, bring you into this synchronistic place, right? Of like, 
you know, just the process of it. But what do you think happens with, with synchronicity? Are we just becoming more clear? Like as we're becoming more cognitive and conscious and asking the questions, like we're, we're just seeing, we're like reading the script. And then when it comes to, okay, yeah, I read about this part, you know, is it already there or are, are we changing things is what I'm saying too. Like, can you like, like as we, as we step into love, as we forgive, as we do all of these beautiful alchemical things, are we changing the outcome versus we're just going through the motions, even, even though the motions are magical, if if you look at them that way, What, what do you think about that? Well, you know, truth, if you ask me, did I make my life? Definitely not. I followed a journey. But, but on the journey, you know, um, things are placed in our path. People are placed in our path. Opportunities are placed in our path. Um, but it's up to us to respond to them. So you, there can be a path laid out, but will you take it to heart? And, um, you know, you have to be discerning because, you know, it's not completely simple and some things are part of the journey and some people, some things are, are, uh, perilous. But for me, um, I've always thought that my life has been mainly responding, that there's been this kind of destiny thing out there. And I still believe that, um, and your destiny is not your desires, your interests, your plans, your goals. You know, your, your destiny is, it, it involves the humility to realize that your little goals and your little plans probably don't mean much in the great scheme of things. And that, that we all do, I do believe everybody has a destiny. And, um, uh, and I think that I agree with you that, you know, when we meditate, when we, when we pray, you know, um, we can, connect with it more easily. That's what spiritual practice is about. I mean, Christians speak of providence. It's not a bad idea. You know, I don't believe in complete predestination. You know, I do think that, you know, we have our responsibility uh, in the journey. And uh, we have to be really careful to keep the journey alive. do you think that the things we mentioned, um, you know, love and, and um, gratitude are like the fuel for all of this stuff, the fuel for faith, the fuel for magical experiences, the fuel for being present and manifestation or synchronicity or any of that thing? Do you think that being aware but being present with that love is, is key? Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
I think it is key. I think that, that, you know, this is where, you know, this whole thing of positive psychology is so cool, you know, where people study gratitude, you know, at UC Davis or forgiveness at, uh, uh, you know, at, at uh, um, uh, in at Virginia Commonwealth, or they study kindness. My institute studies love. A lot of this is around. Marty Seligman on happiness at UPenn. I mean, this is really a big deal right now. Uh, not just studying disease states, but also those sorts of positive emotional and spiritual states that make us feel happier and, and make us healthier and 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 live more fulfilling lives. So I do believe that that's key. And when you, when you put your mind on others and away from the self and the problems of the self, you know, it actually turns off a lot of these negative neurological pathways of bitterness and hostility and fear and so forth. It's a statement in the Bible. Perfect love casts out fear. Mm. I mean, that's actually true. That's scientifically true. When the mesolimbic pathway of love and happiness is turned on. The, the neurological pathways associated with these destructive emotions turn off. They can't be on at the same time. So strange. You have different people and personifications in the Bible. I've been studying this so much of, you know, two people can look at the same thing, but see something different. And you got the Pharisees who would see people who were distraught, see people who had physical ailments in their bodies or prostitutes or whatever. And they look at them in judgment and condemning and say, this came upon you because you're a bad person. And Jesus kind of teaches and imparts to his disciples, hey, look at those people with compassion. Don't look at them and, and point the finger in judgment. But the oh. step into a miracle is to look at them and see the potential and the compassion. So yes, that's a yeah. choice, right? That's a choice. Yes. And I feel like we've trained ourselves to like see the negative or... I even talked with a, a friend of mine the other day who still holds this. He talked about 9-11 and how he still blames the Muslim community and the Muslim world and stuff. And he, when he sees Muslims, there's still animosity. I'm like, man, that, I mean, I know most of us felt that way maybe at some point, but it was like quickly, hold on, this isn't our enemy. You know what I'm saying? If, even if it's a small group of these people, whatever you think, you know, you let somebody control the way that you feel and you see them as an enemy versus as a brother or as a friend, or even if you think they're misguided, right? The two people look at something contingent upon the love in their heart. How much love do you have? How much forgiveness? Can you speak to that a little bit? You know, I'm a believer in the spirituality of imperfection. As soon as you become a perfectionist, you're out of business. I mean, you're not going to have any lasting relationships. You're not going to have any meaningful interactions because nobody's perfect. And that includes you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, you know, in AA, they talk a lot about the spirituality of imperfection, uh, in the, you know, the 12 step programs. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I think that's so, so important. And, uh, it helps with forgiveness because people who are humble and who are honest about their own nature and the mistakes they've made in life and the things they wish they could have back again, I think they can be more, more forgiving. Yeah. Um, well, there's an empathy that 
it's a natural empathy that comes to you when you've been through something. Uh, but this, this isn't for everybody. Like some people go through stuff and get bitter. Right. Other people go through stuff and have a, have, have become empathic for or, or have empathy for people who are in that situation. Like I know what it feels like to be homeless. Right. Let me help the homeless as much as I can versus like, again, the Pharisee look is like, you know, you guys deserve this because you're just drinking all the time, you know, or you've wasted your money and I'm not going to give to you. I, I know you mentioned the one guy in, in, in your TED talk that was about like, he wasn't going to help anybody. He doesn't do nothing for free. Like he has to get something oh, yeah. out of it as well, yeah, that's, that's you know, nice versus stuff. like, Hey man, that person's having a hard time. You know, I don't do nothing for nothing. So. <laughs> do nothing for nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, so, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have in, in the medical world um, a pretty well-known phrase called the wounded healer. Mm, yeah. You know, people who do exceptional work as nurses or clinical social workers or physicians in an area where they too have been healed. Yeah. And, um, you know, you have to be discerning i mean you can't just run around and say by the way that happened to me too i mean you know, someone comes in the room with a broken arm with a kid and you jump off you know what I'm saying? Hey, i did that when i was five so don't worry about it yeah. but you have to be thoughtful about it but you can in quiet impactful ways um help people deal with their situations sometimes situations that are very very difficult um and bring in your own narrative your own story um, it is true that there are some people who uh, don't get to that place. Uh, um, you know, I mean, Ebenezer Scrooge in the Christmas Carol is a good example of someone who who got uh, turned aside by by this young gal he really loved when he was a kid, young at least a young man, and he just he just never got out of it. He just spent his whole life. Uh, buried in this rumination and bitterness and he wasn't happy no one around him was happy but then you know this is the thing where um you know there's always the possibility for a resurrection and there's nobody who's ever so far gone that's what i want to say you know that they can't be reborn um and that's something you know the russian novelists like tolstoy and dostoevsky talked about a lot but, but there's, you know, in the end, St. Paul had it right. He said, nothing ultimately can separate us from the love of God. Yeah. Nothing. Zilch. Nada. And so um, you, can, you can be in a really difficult downward negative spiral, but hopefully something will break you out of it. And, and, and that's what happened, you know, with, with Tim and ultimately Ebenezer Scrooge is the joyful, loving guy who's jumping up and down in the streets of London. But, um, but I do believe that, that nobody is beyond um, that kind of spiritual growth, that kind of spiritual resurrection. And, and you should never count anybody out. And a lot of times, um, you know, you've got to be open to surprises. Even, even human nature at its worst, you know, and you see it in the papers, you know. I mean, things happen that are like completely off the table, you know, mm -hmm. unbelievable stuff. But you always have to remind yourself that there's a flip side to human nature. You know, there is the kindness and the gentleness and 
the love and especially when we connect with this higher energy you know then i think that can really sway the balance that's what i think a relationship a spiritual relationship is important because that you know it, there's a lot of a lot of reasons you can go toward the negative but going toward the positive you get get to your earlier question i think if you're making that effort you can get reinforced i think that that that, that this infinite mind can appreciate that and can bring help and even more synchronicity into your life so so what are practices or, or ways to do that i mean obviously you know changing the way that you see things you know looking for the the best in every situation i mean that helps so much and that's the you train your brain to do that like if you are uh late for something or there's a traffic jam or something like you can re really easily get upset man we're gonna be late man i hate being late and all this or you can you literally switch it you change the narrative in your head or you say yeah. you know what god love is protecting me from a wreck up there there's some kind of danger that this this traffic jam is uh, blessing me. So the universe is trying to help me versus it's trying to, to harm me. So there's definitely that way to extract good gratitude and beauty. We talked about meditation and prayer. If people already have a little bit of love, are they not? Is that the energy that gets gives them the ability to do what I just said? Or how do we get more love? by doing good deeds, you talked about helping the homeless and, and helping people. Does that expand our heart space to, to yeah. carry more love? What do you, what do you think? Oh, I think, I think that uh, um, kind, loving actions expand heart space. I'm not talking just about external altruism, you know, uh, mm -hmm. routinized helping behavior, <laughs> not necessarily done grudgingly, but done without any kind of... Uh, inner spirit i think um i actually mother Teresa had a comment about that that's really pretty good she says it's not um how much you do but it's how much you do with kindness um and in general you know if you cultivate that attitude it's going to help you deal with these difficult circumstances but i mean but we're all flawed that's why i'm an, I'm an imperfectionist i mean if i like if, if when i when i come to work in the morning i have to turn left on a nickels road and there is an annoying stoplight and if there's somebody who stops at that light completely unnecessarily <laughs> when it's yellow <laughs> You know, I'm I, I I am capable of, you know, I won't fall full chested on my horn and yell out an expletive, which is what they do on the Long Island Expressway all the time, by the way. <laughs> but I but I, you know, I feel that frustration. And uh, so that's a time to really be spiritually yeah. mindful, to be self-controlled. Self-control is is really important. So uh, Here's the idea that that, you know, you know, maybe that maybe that temptation never leaves, that it just irks you every time. But every time you identify it and choose love. No, this person's probably having a bad day. No, this person may gas it because I blew the horn and they may get into an accident. Right. They may pull out a gun, you know. Um, so the idea like 
most people would want that to be taken out of them. I don't want this animosity. I don't want this, you know, in, impatientness to be in, in me. But I, I give so much credit to the fact that you can notice it, that I notice that part of me wants to do this, but I'm not. I'm not. Does it eventually go away? Maybe sometimes. Or is it that every time I get to surrender that to love? I get to choose love or hate. There's two paths in front of me. Well, it's constant and we all have to be mindful. You know, we, uh, we try to teach all the students around here mindfulness, which is this noticing of your emotional responses yeah. to the circumstances around you. You know, what's your emotional response to someone with terminal dementia? Yeah. Uh, What's your emotional response to, um, you know, to a patient who is completely not adherent to treatments that are going to be very helpful? Um, how, how do you manage your, um, your own soul, your own being? Because your narrative is hooked up with their narrative, you know, it's like a double helix. So you've, you've got to be aware of that. And, you know, um, uh, we're actually writing a paper right now <clears throat> called Stop, Knock, Breathe about how, you know, teams in a hospital, as they go to a new patient, should stop and, you know, just for a minute, you know, just breathe deep and, um, and knock on the door and ideally wait for an answer and make sure that somebody's covered if possible. And... Um, just pause a little bit because otherwise you're just hooked into the routine, the chronological pressures of rushing from point A to point B and they're not happy and their patients aren't happy. So we have to somehow be able to pull ourselves out of that. And I actually have a little device here, which I'll share with you. This is from the Brahma Kamoras and they're at the upstate New York. They have a really nice retreat center especially for healthcare folks, but it's called Just a Minute. It says, you can't really read it, but it says Just a Minute. It's just a little plastic thing. <clears throat> and you just, you know, even, even in your busiest moments, you know, when you just don't think you can get a handle on it, just watch this in, it, you know, 60 seconds. It's all it takes. And just focus your mind um, on that sand running through that little hourglass and that'll help you get a handle on things. So I keep this right by my right by my desk. Mm -hmm. so I really good. like it actually. It's awesome. Um, that's all it takes, you know. There's so so much so much, you know, information coming out about that. Take a deep breath, yeah. or take five, you know, or breath work. You know, be mindful, be in the moment, pause. Right. Um, yeah. Well, let me ask you this too. So just to throw in the metaphysics of it but it also the science of it someone who is is more loving more kind more compassionate do you you know we, we can feel things in or around people you get around somebody and you just feel good by being around them not even knowing who they are but right. they just have more love in their heart and their heart is expanded mm -hmm. it's a tourist field their aura whatever you want to call it you get around them and you just feel love other people yes. You get around, and it's like, oh, something's up, something's off in the energetic fields. Like, um, have you felt that before? Do you get around, 
people and you can like instantly know, okay, something's up. Or, I mean, you walking into a room where somebody just got a bad diagnosis. Do you walk into a room and feel the, the, the fear? Do you walk into a room and feel the love? Do you walk into the room and feel uncertainty? Like, is that too is that too woo woo for you or what I mean no, it's not, I don't it's think not it is. Weird. But... I mean there's a really really good biologist who spent a lot of time in India, and his name is Richard Sheldrake. Mm. Uh, he's got a lot is it of... uh, Rupert? R yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Rupert yeah. Sheldrake. Yeah, and he works with the Noetic Institute and stuff out in California, and he has this idea of a morphic field, mm. and he he really believes that love energy is a kind of a field and um you know even like when i was out at, at reed college um you know it was my mother it wasn't my father by the way it was my mother who had that premonition and woke up and uh, and called me on that phone and i think a lot of times this sort of connectivity occurs between mothers and their children and, you know, situations where there is a very deep love. Um, so, um, yeah, morphic fields are, are how I would describe it. And I do think that um, people have these morphic fields. I don't, you know, I won't necessarily travel into the metaphysics and all I that will. kind of stuff. You, I will let you, you, you yeah, please do. No, but what, what do that think... mean? They, they, you know, this conversation that complements one another, because just being so far yeah. out and, you know, woo woo versus being able to explain it scientifically is where yeah. we meet. And this is where we need, yes. this is where we're headed. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think so too. So I, so I, so I, I like this idea of a morphic field and, and, um, you know, the guy who the, the British, neurologist who discovered brain waves during World War, right after World War One, you know, his son was in battle in France, and his, he was very close with his sister, and his sister woke up one night, and she had a dream that this fellow's son had been killed. And she told her father, it turned out to be true. And then he spent the rest of his life thinking, you know, there's something about this, that is not just um what should i say you know it's not it didn't just happen you know there's something going on there's some level of connection of energy that's going on there and um so he's the guy who discovered brain waves and uh i think you got to take that into account a lot of times these these deep connections that we have do in fact yield amazing premonitions and um and yeah i mean when i walk into a room I mean, I'm pretty mirthful. I, I, uh, I've, I've been in this hosp hospital for the last two years. We were like an epicenter for the COVID stuff mm -hmm. when it was really raging. It's not raging now, but, but uh, it was really raging. And uh, it was tough on a lot of the healthcare workers. And, you know, they were struggling for all kinds of good reasons. And I made a point of, we have escalators in the middle of the hospital. And I rode the escalators at least once a day up and down. You know, there's like five stories of escalators and I would see people and I, I'd smile and they, they'd wave. And then I'd tell little, little uplifting corny jokes, like things like, uh, um, Hey, you know, um, 
what did the fish say when it swam into the wall? Damn, or you know, something along those lines. You know, what did this? What did the what did the envelope say to the stamp? Stick with me, we'll go places. Uh, you know, I, I just I just was working a lot on mirth because when the thing mirth is a spiritual quality, and and this whole COVID thing, I mean, I feel like people have have got to learn to laugh again. And when people laugh, you know, in a millisecond, yeah, uh, everything changes. It, I mean, it's like a miracle. It's a miracle. So, so in, in why good things happen to good people, I actually have a, you know ten expressions of love, and one of them is is mirth. I don't mean like distasteful, destructive humor that can be hurt, you know, hurtful for people. But I mean just light, uplifting stuff, and and how much you can do for the world around you if you just cultivate that a little bit. And you have to be willing to be silly. But you know that's, you know, I mean. That's okay. Uh, so I did a lot of that. And, um, you know, you can create an atmosphere around you. That, and, and that's an expression of, of, of love. That's good. Yeah, I mean, you know, you carry that. That is your expression. That is your statement of faith, if you will. It's like what is coming. It's your... I would call it your spiritual aroma. It's your aura. Like that's who you are. It's not who you say you are. It's what you do. And I think, you know, they kind of go hand in hand, but, um, you can tell that, you know, and and children could tell that. I remember my daughter when, when she was young, you know, friends would come over and bring people to our house and it was like a stranger and standoffish, stay away from them. And And then other people come over and the kids are just drawn to them. I really feel like that's some type of, you know, they're closer to heaven or the spirit world when they're little and they can, they can sense that kind of stuff, you know, that we've become yeah. numb to, you know? So the kids, so you have to take this, this, the spirituality of a child seriously. I mean, you know, I, there's a, a friend of mine named Lisa Miller who wrote a book, it was a bestseller. She's at Columbia Teachers College and it's called The Spiritual Child. And it's, it's a study. It's a, you know, it's an investigation into the spiritual experiences of children, but oh my goodness, you know, and it's really easy to just write that stuff off say, oh, it's just a childish imagination, (laughs) but there's something there Mm -hmm. and, and adolescents can have amazing experiences, but children, you know, they're, they're, they're less corrupted, you know, uh, and, and, and they, they're not cynical or sardonic. I mean, they, and even the studies, like from the Yale Child Center, Study Center, which we actually funded, you know, Paul Bloom's stuff of, of children, you know, toddlers. I mean, one year to a year and a half old, you know, like if you put a, do a puppet show and you, you know, you have three acts. One is a certain kind of puppet goes up the incline, can't quite make it up and then falls down. That's puppet one. The puppets are really different colors, shapes. Second act, another puppet goes up following the first one and helps it get on this on the plateau. And then the third act, a mean Jack puppet follows that puppet up and the puppet gets up on the plateau, but then mean Jack pushes him down. So you take these three puppets, you know, one's like big and yellow and circular, another's red and green and rectangular and has big blurry eyes and stuff. And you 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 put those in uh, in front of a toddler. 90% of the time, the toddler will stare at or reach out and touch 
that second puppet, the good Samaritan, the helper puppet. Because mm. they know, and, and Bloom wrote a book about this, they know that there's something going on there. So they're, it's not like children are, you know, hardwired for nastiness, to be gremlins. I mean, it depends on what but buttons we push as parents, you know. I mean, if you keep uh, humiliating your kids, you know, you, you know, you, you, you're going to get some difficult results. But, but yeah, I mean, kids are, are actually very gifted and, uh, um, and they can pick things up. And, and at, I mean, in my case, you know, when I was a kid, I was, I was, you know, kind of known as being a little bit dreamy, you know, even when I was six, seven years old, I wasn't quite, you know, hanging out like some, like everybody else. And, uh, and then I had that, that dream when I was 15 and my, my teacher, Rod Wells, he did not need to take that seriously. He could have dissed me, mm. you know, he could say that's just complete junk, Yeah, but he was, he was open-minded about it. And, and so he actually drove, drove, drove me from New Hampshire to New Haven again, which is, you know, about, about a four hour drive. And uh, he'd been, he was a graduate of Yale Divinity School. So, uh, you know, he set it up and I gave my dream, uh, my presentation on the dream to these 15 or so MDiv students training for ministry. And the, and the teacher happened to be really into adolescent spirituality and child spirituality. <clears throat> and he took me seriously, you know, and that's what I think we need to do. We need to actually, you know, G what, you know what Jesus said, Jesus said, um, those who enter the kingdom of heaven are like a child. Yeah. I mean, he didn't just say that. You know, he, I mean, he just didn't say stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he, that was something that was meaningful to him. And people yeah. say, well, what does that mean? I mean, can you be so naive as to, and childish? You can't get through life that way. No, he was saying, don't ever forget the child within you. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget 80. Don't forget, Don't forget 80. 80. And, That's where you're from. And, that's who you are. A part, it's still in you. It's still in you. It's yeah. eternal. Yeah. Yeah, that's the eternal. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, I actually looked that word up the other day. Well, there's another scripture where it says, uh, you know, he's having a talk and he says, any, any of you that cause any of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it's better for you to jump into the ocean with a yeah. millstone tied around your neck. And it's like, you know, if you teach them wrong, if you, you know, if you rob them of their innocence kind of thing, right? But it mm -hmm. also says the little ones that believe in me. And I looked at it as like, I broke the word down, right? As used in the Greek anyway. And it says, uh, immature Christians, mm -hmm. like they just simply believe. They don't know the politics. They don't know the rules and regulations. They just are enamored with this. Yeah. They're in love with this guy and they, they harness it. Do, do not take that away. And really, you can yeah. learn from them and you need to have that in you as well, in your study, in your approach, in your spirituality, stay in the midst of that, protect that innocence, return to the innocence. It's such a beautiful, beautiful yeah. commandment. And it's a unique, it's a unique capacity that we all have. But the thing is, I mean, this is why, you know, I, I mean, I, I, as I say, you know, I do go to a local Episcopal church, you know, most Sundays, because I just, I love the, I love the prayers and, uh, and I, and I, and, and, you know, Jesus, said do this in, in memory of me so i'm okay with that but um you know you got to remember that there was so much politics and fighting 
between factions in the early church. And they were having these wars, literally wars over, you know, doctrine, homoousius versus homoousius. I mean, you know, is it, I mean, <clears throat> and, and then you get these extremely engaged creeds, which are kind of a little bit hard to follow for a lot of people. But if we would just get back to the simplicity of Jesus, you know, and uh, so I have a lot of respect for Jesus. I mean, don't, even though I'm fairly esoteric, I mean, I, I still define myself as, as Christian, but in, in the sense that I, I believe that Jesus was um, one with the divine, and I believe that um, when we pray in his name, it's, it's special. And I do believe, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, I, I went to the University of Chicago Divinity School, so I didn't just do world religions, I did theology too. I, you know, I think the atonement is really critical to Christianity, that somehow this really spiritually enlightened being um, would be put through that terrible ringer and would somehow come out of it saying, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, now that's holding your own. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a lot more than a yellow light. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, if it's your story, it's your story. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, because that could be the end of your story very quickly with the wrong response, yeah. right? Like I said, you could, yeah. you can, wave a gun at them they can wave a gun at you they can you know you can give them a love tap and bump them into traffic like they're so like it's what do you do you're in this situation what do you do well yeah. all creation is waiting and watching what do you do jesus on the cross what do you do yeah. do you curse the people do you call down a legion of angels because he said he could to come and destroy the people that are trying to you know harm the innocent what do you do? What do you do? And so, yeah, you find you have to find yourself in those stories, which is the beauty of myth. And you mentioned Joseph Campbell, and and I hope that more Christians, you know, um, are starting to to lean towards that with the allegory and the metaphysics and the symbology and yeah. and those things. And I think they are. I really do. But but still hold the beauty of the spiritual practice of some of their early traditions of faith, or just simply doing what Jesus said do. You know. Yeah. I think so. So I'm actually optimistic about the spiritual future. Uh, I, uh, I realize there's a lot of nastiness uh, in our world right now, uh, but I, and I don't think there's a political answer to it, by the way. I think there's the, 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 the answer has to be spiritual. We just have to get to a, a different level. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> so good. So yeah. good. Yeah, I'm studying that like crazy right now. Just the levels of spirituality or the levels or layers of love. You know, it just mm-hmm. goes right into your talk. And I've been telling everybody that the majority of these talks that I've been doing have been have been synchronistic with my studies. Yeah. You know, I've yeah. kind of been tactful about who I, you know, talk to. We're doing less, but but it's been tactful about how does this add to, you know, the narrative of, of what I'm teaching yes. and what I'm studying and how to get more love in you is how to get more light that uh, that is, is the fuel for any spiritual practice or any any divine yeah. love. So I really appreciate this talk and Good. what you bring and brought to the table. And I, I encourage people to, to look into your work, to, to watch some of your talks online as well. You know, tons of knowledge, tons of tons of research on, on your websites and things like that. Your book, everything that you're doing, man, I appreciate this conversation. Let people know where they can go to uh, to check out your work. Where, where's the best place for them to go to get your books and to engage in, with you? Well, well, you know, just uh, Stephen with a PH, you know, I'm a PHer. So stephengpost.com is my main um, website. Um, although there's also the Institute, which is unlimitedloveinstitute.org, um, which, by the way, I didn't name that. Sir John Templeton, the investor, he actually faxed me from Nassau in the Bahamas in 2000. And he said, Stephen, we need to start an institute to study the greatest human asset, which is love. And I said, great, what should we call it? And he said, the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love. And I was around a lot of geneticists in a medical school, a case, Cleveland. I faxed back Sir John, maybe we should call it the Institute for Creative Altruism. He faxed back, no, I think unlimited love up to $8.9 million. And I faxed back Sir John. I love that language. It jumps right off the page. But he was completely right. Yeah. Because it's the language of love that opens this up to the spiritual traditions. Altruism is a very dry, sciencey term that really doesn't do much for your soul, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, so I'm glad you're, you're studying all this uh, truth. And I think you're on a great path. I honor it, um, respect it. And I think you have a very nice style. I think you could do... You are doing a lot, but I think you could be very successful in bringing people into this. And uh, and so I'm grateful to have contributed. Yeah, thank you so much. It means the world. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it is metaphysical, but it has to be practical too, right? Love, forgiveness, honor, those that you disagree with. Man, everything Jesus talked about, like just do what he said, do. You know, yeah. it just it ends for so many people to just believing in him. But he says, listen, if you believe in me, I want you to believe in me, but do, so do what I say, you know, yeah. love those who, who don't deserve it. Anybody can love people who deserve it. They deserve love. Show love to the person who doesn't deserve it. Show forgiveness to those who don't deserve it. Why? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Because probably somewhere along your line, you didn't or don't deserve it either. So That's there's right. that there's that empathy, you know, grace that no. was shown to me. I want to continue to show it to others. That's all I can do is show you what's been shown to me. I agree. Okay. So thank and you so much for coming I on, brother. Everybody well and uh it's great to talk with you. We'll talk again. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. God bless. See you. Bye-bye. Wow, guys. That was such a good talk, man. Um everything that I've been studying and researching has been synchronistic. Even the talks that I'm having on the podcast, like there's so many people who are, are reaching out and I'm getting emails. And like I said, I'm doing doing less talks. I'm editing more. You guys see that. Um, but they've been, they've been right on, right on the money, like all of them. Um, the majority, let's not say all, the majority, uh, eight, out of, eight out of 10. <laughs> so man, I, I'm just been, and engage and in my heart are in these conversations and to, as a student. And so you got to stay there. Like, you know, the idea of returning to the innocence or remaining childlike as the immature Christian, what do they do? They are, they want to know they, they, they're at the beginning place of why you got into it. Stay there, stay teachable, stay open, hold all things loosely. Um, show love, show compassion, and do the first works. Like you see when in Revelations where people and churches got off in the end and, and they thought they were so lofty, they thought they were so spiritual, they thought everything was okay, but God, they stand in front of the, the judgment throne and, and God says, you know, you, you did all these amazing things, but I got this against you. What is it? You left your first love. And so that's what an immature Christian, uh, you know, uh, the innocence represents returning to the first love. I don't care how long you've been in this thing uh, and, and, and the love of some have waxed cold, right? I've been there. I go there sometimes, but it's the journey to recapture why I said yes. Why am I showing up? Why did I get started? And because very quickly that becomes about other things whether you're a Christian, whether you're a spiritual movement, it, it, whatever, it, these principles apply. Remember why you got started. You know, this podcast, I have to tell you so many times, remember why I got started. You know, because you forget the beauty of, of being reminded. You know, we talk about communion and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And, you know, the Christian practice of, of taking the Eucharist or partaking of communion is Jesus says, listen, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because you'll forget. You'll make it about other things. You'll make it about money. You'll make it about teaching. You'll make it about being right. You'll make it about spiritual encounters. And at the end of your life, you'll be depressed because you don't have as many as you did at the beginning. Maybe they've stopped, right? You've made it about something different. Make it about the reason why you got started. You got to keep that there. And yes, there's other notches and other things come in, right? And you you learn and you grow. Many of us just want to return all the way back to that 
elementary place of of not knowing about things and where everything was simple but i don't think it's supposed you're supposed to return there uh in knowledge and intellect but in the heart space because if you're there in the heart space it's going to give you the love and the ability and the fuel to get to those next higher le levels and be trusted to be trusted with the fuel to go even higher versus hitting your ceiling you can go to the next level of this the spiritual um, alchemical process which we can call the spiritual new jerusalem that has those levels we talk about spiritual ascension and different levels that people are going to so um, that's very much what i'm studying and and i know that my heart has to be in that place of brokenness and, and love for for myself and for um, my family and for my enemies and for God and for everything. So the more love that you bring into your life, into your heart, by doing good deeds, by meditating, by stepping into mindfulness, there's so many practices, prayer, listening to good music, like bringing more beauty in front of your eyes and allowing it to come into your soul, allowing it to come into your heart space and expanding to your spiritual body, your spiritual and etheric body, coming in through the eye gates, through the mouth gates, through the ear gates, coming into your heart, wrestling with it, keeping all the beautiful things there, getting rid of the things that you don't need, right? And holding on to that beauty. And that's how you get transformed. Like make that a lifestyle, a decision. A thousand good decisions, a thousand healthy meals, a thousand days of devotion, you know, a thousand days of reading the Bible, right? You transform for sure. It doesn't even take a thousand. It, honestly, you'll start seeing results very soon, but it's about consistency. Consistency with what? The things that are helping you, the things that are blessing you, the things that are good. The Bible says to, if there be anything true, if there be anything of good report, of anything noble, anything virtuous, think about those things. Think on these things. Meditate on these things. Go to Psalm 119 and read about meditating upon the precepts of God, his laws, his love, um, the stories that are in there. What happens to your heart when you meditate on these precepts and you're transformed? You know, meditation is key. Meditation is dope, but you can meditate on different things. Whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're struggling with, you're wrestling with, hold on to it, wrestle with it, meditate on it. And if you don't let go, you'll be blessed with what? A higher level. Your attitude determines your altitude of where you are spiritually, where you are mentally, where you are physically, working out, taking care of your body. All of that is your attitude. And attitude goes back to what? The immature Christian. I just love God, man. I don't, I don't know nothing about all that, all this politics and, and, and who's right and who's... I don't know nothing about that. I know that I'm in love and I know that I've been given grace and I know that I've been set free from the things that are killing me. Listen, remind yourself, do this in remembrance of me. Take communion, get a bracelet, get a tattoo. I don't care, whatever you gotta do to have things around you. That's why, you know, religious iconography and icons and, and crystals and plaques. I mean, I got so much stuff around here. I wanna be reminded, you know, I wanna be reminded of all the beautiful things in my life and, and all the things that I'm grateful for because how easy and how quickly we forget, you know, to be in the moment to walk in love. Find gratitude in the situation. I tell you, Mark chapter 8, where Jesus feeds the 4,000 with five loaves and two fish. He's got to feed thousands of people. 
and it's a situation that seems impos impossible. It seems hopeless, but it says he saw the multitude that were following him and they hadn't eaten in days and they were hungry. And he had compassion. He said, you know what, man, These, I gotta give them something to eat. They haven't been eating. Obviously, the story is about um, physical bread, eating food and fish, but the spiritual bread. Jesus is the bread of life. You can eat and drink and be filled and be sustained sustenance spiritually, right? So we got to look at the deeper meaning. Jesus looks at the 4,000 with compassion. That's one key, compassion. And then he grabs the, the bread. He says, that's all we got? Yeah, that's what we got. Okay, it's enough. It's enough. What do you mean it's enough? Look at these. Listen, he, and it says that he blesses it. He blesses it. And when he blesses it, that blessing is to find gratitude. It's to be thankful. He blesses it. Says the blessing before the meal. I mean, same thing. Thank you for this. Blesses it. And a little becomes much. And now there's more to go around. There's enough for everybody. What are you, what are you getting to? Because in that place of looking for gratitude and thankful for just this little bit of stuff, there is fuel for the miracle. There's multiplication that happens there. Now you have enough to go around for everybody. Now your gratitude can feed those around you because it's coming through every conversation. It's embedded in every thought, finding gratitude. He takes the fish and he blesses it. He says the blessing over them, right? He blesses them and he gives thanks is what it is. With the fish, he gives thanks. So he's looking for gratitude. How are you giving thanks over, you know, two fish? Like, I don't even think that's enough to feed you, Jesus. <laughs> so how is this going to feed your disciples and 4,000 people. Well, I'm going to make it because I'm going to find thankfulness in it. And we'll all, maybe we'll all just get a little peace, man, you know, and it'll sustain us. I don't know, but he blesses it. It multiplies again, says grace, gives thanks. There's enough to go around. That's gratitude. It says that we must enter into his courts with thanksgiving. We must enter into his gates with praise. Finding gratitude. Find you gotta just quickly find something to be grateful for. I know you you find yourself in situations and there's like nothing around you to be grateful for. Everything's bad. Everything's listen. Be be grateful for the memory of the thing that existed. I still have a memory. I still remember the good times we had together. You know, friends turn their back on you. People pass on into eternity. You know, and these things that that hurt. You know, and it feels like a piece of you died. But listen, tap into the gratitude which is looking at the pictures and to remember beautiful encounters because if you don't like it changes everything it undoes all everything beautiful but fight for that hold on to it believe it and when you do that it gives you the gratitude it gives you the, the fuel to step into that thing which is beautiful and there you'll see the miracle there you'll see the magic happen um you know i feel i say this as much as i can that you know a lot my, my story um, lined so much up with, with Stephen just about being able to recapture the dream recapture the dream to tap into alchemy to look at what you're given and say uh, I, this is I don't want this you know I was a so many jobs that I had over over my life um, and none of them I wanted to be doing you know none of them but where contentment came in and where magic came in as I was there. I didn't want to be there. It's a very hard place. It's a strange place. But to find something beautiful in it, to see it as a blessing, 
because there's a blessing in there somewhere if you hold hold on to it long enough if you wrestle with it if you think about it long enough there's a blessing in it somewhere so all of the jobs that i've been on i didn't want to do any of that like i'm a cre i'm a creative like i you know I, i'm into the arts and I, I could you know think of a thousand other things that i would rather be doing with my time but i have to earn a living i have to keep the lights on so you're in this place where you're like man i don't know how i got here maybe i should have went to school maybe i should have did this but reality is i'm working for the city and i'm you know cleaning up ditches in the middle of nowhere that nobody you know even sees but it helps to drain for the city you know i'm working with inmates and 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 these things and and, and working them on the job and um you know just in a place that i didn't i didn't like it i didn't want to be there but in my mind, I was always somewhere else. Like I was always creating, I was working on music. I couldn't wait to get off to work on music, to write. Um, so what I would do, I would write on the on the job. I would write my music on lunch break. I would write, you know, in, on bathroom breaks or whatever, you know? Um, so in there, I'm in this place of, of desperation essentially, but using it and finding the good in it, you know? Um, and and I, I learned how to use I learned how to drive a backhoe. I learned how to use a shovel. I learned how to, to clean and to, to sweep and to mop and things that really I've never had a, a father. So like it really, I, I was able to see God in my life as a father, teaching me through hands-on, go work here, go do that responsibility. You know, and then eventually I went to another job. I got my CDL and I was making 750 an hour and I've been there five years, right? I got another, got my CDL, got another job driving trucks, but I was ended up driving a truck for um, a company called A&M Portables, cleaning porta potties. Listen, it paid way more, um, nastier work, right? I, I even that, like I don't know why I was there. I didn't want to be there, <laughs> but it was just by default. I needed something, and that's the next door that opened. I walked through it. I don't ever feel like I was supposed to be, like I wanted to be there. Obviously I was supposed to, right? Because that was the journey of something to learn there. But it's about finding gratitude, even on those jobs that you hate. And every time that you do that and you sit in it and you stay in it, you'll find out that that's what opens up the door for you to step into the next level. It's once you find that bliss, once you find that gratitude, even in those places that you hate. So that job, listen, I would go home, I'd have, you know, stuff, I, you know, waste on me. It was a waste management companies, you know. I like cleaning toilets all day, like 15 hours a day sometimes. And you're wrecked and going in early, getting off. I was making good money, but I worked so much I didn't even, didn't even really have a time to be off and spend it. Didn't like it. Um, but still making music, you know, still finding gratitude and looking for opportunity. Another job opened up. I started working as an electrician helper and um, doing the work wasn't as dirty, you know, and but still there's like electrician, what? What am I doing here? You know, a friend got me the job. And uh, but it was like always like stepping up little little bit at a time, levels of it. But always trying to find gratitude. You know, and that just lasted for years and other jobs and going back of driving trucks for ten years of, of delivering car parts, which was you know, I got to listen and, and learn a lot of um things by listening to audiobooks and listening to podcasts and preaching sermons and stuff but I didn't I didn't want to be there but that truck ended up becoming a cage and um, knew that I wasn't 
destined for this. This wasn't my ending. This wasn't my story. How do I get to the next level? You know, and this place where you just want to give up because it just feels like a dead end. You're getting old. You, you should probably should have went to school and you're, you know, this isn't for everybody. Everybody doesn't get to capture their dream. Everybody doesn't be, get to become a rapper. You know, everybody doesn't get to do this. Only some people do. And you're struggling with that demon, you know, with that Satan that's causing you to doubt, you know. And so um, just one thing leading to another, finding gratitude there, even with tears, you know, of this like sitting in my work truck and crying like, am I supposed to give up on this dream? Is it a pipe dream? Is it only real to you? Is it, is, you know, is it your, your imagination? Because you have all these infinite possibilities that exist, but you're always stuck doing, you know, trading your time for money and also trading your time for something that you don't like to do. Maybe it's our lot in life. Maybe it's our uh, our job, our J-O-B, that is, we're miserable, right? Maybe it is because Adam sinned and he had to work for the sweat of his brow to earn a living, as we've been told. You know, but I, I ended up reading The Alchemist and getting to a place where I knew I needed to recapture the dream. Don't give up on it. Give it one last shot, but really come to God and put everything down. And so instead of like, because in, inwardly I was... There was no rest because I was always trying to make something happen, make something work, and it never would. Like it would always reach a ceiling, and yeah, you'd reach people. And I've been podcasting and doing music, and it was cool, but that's when you're off. When you get off of work, then you can podcast. Then you can, you know. And I, I would look forward to getting off of work to spend time with family, but to also do what I love, you know, where my heart's desire was, and um, for years, but. Eventually, you know, things opened up and, you know, there's a whole story about it. Read it in my book, you know, but it's about finding gratitude, finding gratitude there. And once I did and I quit trying to make stuff happen and I became present on the job, you know, to do your work as you're doing it unto the Lord, to serve your boss, to don't steal time on the clock. You know what I'm saying? Just be present with conversations with my customers that I delivered to and stuff. And, and when I did that, you know, that's when things really transformed for me, when I found that gratitude, you know, and then ended up getting let go. And, uh, but it was an opportunity to, to try this, to try to podcast full time, to try to do music full time. And remember my first day of stepping into it. We haven't looked back since that was in October, uh, August of 2017, I believe. I think August, 2017 that I've been doing this full time. Yeah, haven't looked back since. You know, it was a, it was a even that was a struggle. It was a work. It was show up. It was, you know, the idea of like, you know, I'm driving a truck for 15 hours a day, working 40 plus hours a week on any job. You know, what could you get accomplished if you put 40 plus hours a week towards music, podcasting, 40 plus hours of a week. Like if that, if you get to wake up and do that, like my mind's again, infinite possibilities, you know, stepping into that awe and wonder and the idea to wrestle with it, not to let it go. Hold on, man. Wait, let's see. I wonder what, what's that like? What kind of happiness does that bring? What kind of love and gratitude does that bring? You know, so kind of like daydreaming about it, putting yourself in that situation. And while I'm on the job and that wasn't my reality, my faith was telling me that it's possible somewhere. And we stepped into it.
you know, we haven't looked back. So I'm just so every day is a blessing. Every day is grateful doing what I'm doing now. But you got to look back at that place that's not that you're complaining. You start complaining about things that you asked God for that, that were like an answer to prayer. And now you're ungrateful. Hold on. You were cleaning toilets. Now you're driving trucks, delivering. Listen, it's an upgrade, bro. Remember where you came from. So that's like where you you grab the gratitude from to remember where you came from with the little. Jesus looks at the little and says, man, listen, I remember we had when we had nothing. I remember when we had nothing. So listen, there's two fishes. Listen, that's more than enough. <laughs> find gratitude. Find it there. I say all of that to say when I asked Stephen about driving past, you know, driving down 80 and driving past that bridge, like what happens in your heart? You know, I was strategic in asking that because when I drive past the toilet place where I used to clean toilets and used to go punch in and get ready to go clean toilets all over the, 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 the county, um, I drive past there now going to play basketball, going to the playing basketball at an hour that I was, should have been working, like as far as if I was working at any of those jobs. You know, at, on lunch break, on my friend's lunch break. Hey, Troop, you want to go shoot basketball? Let's go. And I drive past there and there's cars all in the parking lot. I said, you would probably be in a toilet, you know, an hour away from here cleaning. You know, and when I drive past there, listen, instant, instant gratitude. I just say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to, to who? To the creator, you know. Thank you for allowing me to, to, go, to go through that. Now it makes this, this moment even more potent. It makes this moment even more gracious. Why? Because when you go through these hardships and you go through the questions and, and the, you go through the, the contrast of what is beautiful and what is dark, you know, and where, where are you on that level? And, and, I, and I've been, I've drawn this this whole time. I'm gonna show you my notes. They're crazy looking, they're scribble scratch, but if you guys can see, maybe i think it's this yeah anyway there's it's scribble scratch but there's a some kind of a spiral there's an earth there's a there's contrast of darkness that gets lighter there's a spiral that goes up and it goes down and we're talking about these levels right what level of darkness are you in you know there's levels of darkness there's levels of light there's levels of gratitude like many people only, you know, you find gratitude when something good happens for you. How about you go back into the darkness and bring gratitude there? I mean, Jesus did it. We're looking at the story. Jesus descends into hell and preaches the good news. Hey, man, got good news, y'all. I've defeated death. It's lost its sting. We're now stepping into eternal life. Yes, I led the way, but you guys got to come with me. I'm leading captivity captive come on guys time to get out find gratitude go back into those dark places and it changes your relationship with them it you know my relationship with those jobs have changed now it's a place of gratitude a job that used to oh, i can't believe i'm going here again another day you know now i'm like man thank you thank you my memories and my interactions were beautiful and they don't exist anymore only within my heart is a memory so we have to look change the way that we look at things so that the things that we look at will change 
And that's the power of gratitude. Little is much. The cup is half empty. Nah, it's half full. You know, becoming optimistic. Become optimistic how your state you will achieve. It's so beautiful. This is the process of, of becoming light, bringing more light and more love to you. And we've shared some very um, um, practical things that you can do, but also the grid of, of which we measure on the spiritual plane of existence, the different bodies, the different beings, you know, angels and demons and darkness and lights and spirals that go up and spirals that go down and uh, levels that correlate on the light and in the darkness, man so much of what I've been studying, but to ascend, to bring everything up, everything in your life gets an upgrade, spiritually, mentally, financially, all of those places. How bringing gratitude, let gratitude be the fuel that helps you get to those greater levels. Tell me about it. Send me a message, send me an email, get on my inbox, hit me up. I wanna know what strides, what steps are you taking you're able to look back at that past situation and see change. That's what it's about. You've got to have contrast. Those who sat in darkness beheld a great light. I can contrast it. There's empathy there for those in darkness. Like Jesus saw death and he goes down and was, he's carried the weight of the world, you know, and he, he brings this message of love and, and of beauty. There's a, it, it rings true deeper to your core. There's a gratitude. You gotta bring it there. And so the contrast exists for a reason. All things, all situations, all beings exist for your greater good, which is for the greater good of the collective, which is for the greater good of the planet, which is for the greater good of the universe and for the cosmos and for all of existence. Be thankful, find gratitude, be mindful. Thank you guys. All right, I wanna say a huge thank you to everybody supporting my work via Patreon. This is a listener-supported, listener-funded show. Doesn't exist without your help, man. Thank you to all of the beautiful souls who um, resonate with this message. I know that it's not falling upon deaf ears. I know that the word is not returning void. For sure, people are sharing, people are supporting, people are um, uh, sending donations and, and letting me know that, listen, keep doing this, man. Step it up, let's keep doing it, let's evolve it. So thank you guys for believing in the work. It, it means the world, thank you. So I'm gonna say a huge thank you to some of the following patrons within the last week or so. Shout out to D Geardis, thank you so much D for coming on. Thank you to Deidre. Great to meet you, my friend. Uh, amazing work that God is doing in your heart. Thank you for being a part of this circle. LaShonda Washington. Thank you, LaShonda, for coming on. Great to have you, my friend. Belinda Bernadette. Great to meet you, Belinda. Welcome to the circle as well. Your support means the world. Thanks. Samantha L. Hello, Samantha. Welcome. Great to have you. Cheryl DiPinto. Thank you, Cheryl, for coming on. Many blessings to you, too. And Daniel Emerson. Great to have you, Daniel. Thank you for coming on at such a high level of support on Patreon, man. Thank you so much. It means the world. Thank you. If you'd like to support, go to patreon.com backslash truthseeker. There you get access to my entire discography of music, 
the webinars that we've done in the past. You get access to our Thursday night School of the Mystics, which is the community aspect of what we're building here. Hangout, prayer, meditation, discussion with me in a small uh, community. It's not a lot of people. I don't want to overwhelm people. I think it's like a whole bunch of people. No, small community, just having fun, discussions, rolling ideas, having prayer. Listen, check it out for sure. Thursday night School of Mystics, 7 p.m. Central, um, Sunday morning, prayer, meditation, discussion, breathwork we do that on sundays as well at 10 a.m central you get access to that my guided meditations so much more behind the scenes stuff go check it out you know patreon.com backslash truth seeker go to my website truthseeker.com i've got a book out you can get my meditation for free there the throne room meditation if you haven't heard that you got to hear it i guarantee you it's one of the best meditations you've ever heard and if you um have never meditated before and this is new to you Go check it out. It is amazing. It'll change your life for sure. And you can get it for free. Truthseeker.com. With that being said, I'm going to say peace and shalom. Thank you guys for uh, hanging out with me. It's been a blessing. Shalom. Peace. That does it for this episode, folks. To hear more episodes of the Truth Seeker podcast, head over to truthseeker.com. And if you're wanting to support the show and get rewards, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash truthseeker. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.